0: Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Tamarack Media Cooperative is looking for a coder for environmental initiatives. Vox Media is looking for a full-stack engineer. And Revision Path is looking for staff writers. So check out the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs and find your next job today. You're listening to the Revision Path podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, of course, I got to talk about our wonderful sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. MailChimp is the best software out there for sending marketing emails, automated messages, and targeted campaigns. Join more than 10 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 600 million emails every day. Sign up today at MailChimp.com. When you have a great idea, you want to secure a great domain name for it, and that's where Hover comes in. Hover makes it really easy for you to find the domain name that you're looking for and get it up and running with no hassle and no heavy-handed upselling. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today, use our promo code RevisionPath and save 10% off your purchase. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So we are still at 31 patrons, but we have increased to a combined total of $212 per month. So a huge thanks to all of you that are already pledging your support, that have increased your pledges for support. That's even better. Uh, Thank you again so much. If you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get access to some really great perks like special giveaways, early access to future episodes, and free Revision Path swag, head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 per month, and it's a really great way to support the show on a regular basis. We now have a Slack community. I mentioned this last week. Uh, if you want to come and chat it up with me and with other Revision Path supporters, head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash slack and that will take you to a page where you can sign up for an invite we've got i think 45 people right now the room's pretty active with conversations so please come through say hello it'll be great to hear from you now for this week's interview i talked with ayana baltrip balagas Uh, she's a creative she's a design educator designer actress dancer you name it ayana is based out of san francisco california let's start the show all right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, this is Ayanna valtra us.
1: I am an independent graphic designer, creative, and a design educator. I'm from San Francisco.
0: Talk to me about what the design community is like in San Francisco for you.
1: Pretty laid back. I don't participate as much as I'd like to right now, but it's quite... Well, I shouldn't say laid back. It's actually quite robust. Let me back up on that. It's quite robust. I, I get... Quite Quite active with designers, mostly online these days, or via events that are posted online through certain meetups I belong to, I participate in, like the Creative Cloud Lovers. I also got an invitation that I'll be attending Adobe. I get a lot of invitations to um, Adobe events, and um, um, I'm a member of the American Institute of Graphic Artists. Um, an active member, or, or I don't even know if we're we're around anymore. But the org- organization of Black designers, there are a few of us out here. We still try to get together, and but basically, it's a pretty robust. I go to some events. I try to go to meetups, mostly meetups these days. Also, uh, Girl Develop it very much into. I'm concerned you know where there's a group of us. We call ourselves the Tech Fam. We're a little older than most of the women in Girl Develop it, but we, mm-hmm. we work with them. And a lot of things happening out here, a lot of good things happening out here. like to see more diversity in it, so I try to show up so they can see a different face, mm-hmm. both in terms of gender and in terms of uh, ethnic ethnicity as well as age.
0: I'm interested in the organization of Black Designers because we've had a few people on the show before, Michelle Washington. Mm-hmm. Leon Lawrence III, Steve Jones, Maurice Woods, people that have mentioned the Organization of Black Designers. Talk to me about how you first found out about them and how you joined. Well, I looked them up. Uh, actually, I looked them up in the phone book.
1: Oh, wow. Back in the day, <laughs> <Probably> the <laughs> early 2000s. <laughs> okay. I actually looked it up in the phone book. And the representative for the in, in this area in the city is Ricardo Gomez, who's a professor oh. and former chair of the design and industry department at San Francisco State University. Sweet. He's a, an architect as well as a, a product and industrial designer and design thinker. And basically, it was Ricardo and I in the San Francisco chapter. Then we got uh, Alan Hurd, who came out from New York. And of course, Steve Jones, who's a colleague of Ricardo's, who was in the same department at San Francisco State University. More and I had met because of Interact. I actually looked him up via Interact, trying to get some projects going with him a few years back. And Michelle and I met again via Facebook, but I don't know if it was through Ricardo or through Steve, but we met via Facebook and then we've just been in touch throughout the years, several years. And we also have a mutual friend in New York as well. But he wasn't the, the hookup for Michelle and I. But we haven't done much out here in terms of the OBD. Um, Steve Jones had a group, and I can't think of the name right now, where they've done several things in the past, you know, to get black designers and, and multidisciplinary black designers collaborating and doing some projects as well.
0: So... It's a small design world that everyone's kind of connected like that through that organization. Right. I've also spoken with, with David Rice. I really hope to get him on the show mm-hmm. one day. But we've talked about... The Organization of Black Designers in terms of where it is now and where he would like to see it. Because sort of like how you said, you looked it up in the phone book. Mm -hmm. And I think with designers now, particularly since so much of what we do in the industry is connected through technology, we're trying to find a website or a mailing list or something. And I know OBD's web presence is not the most robust in terms of engagement. Right. And I think that's something that they're working on as they kind of work to get their numbers up. But certainly different people I've talked to are all interested in trying to make sure that the organization kind of gets back up and thrives again. And I feel like it's important that 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 really happens.
1: I agree because it is hard for us to connect and especially in an area like the San Francisco Bay Area where we're so few, you know, uh, like I said, I can basically uh, there's I can count the black designers with whom I associate. A one and a half hands, essentially. There are about seven of us, eight of us. There are a few more of us out there.
0: Mm-hmm. But in
1: terms of more on a semi-regular basis, basically, seven of us. <laughs> and, you know, trying to just really, we need to make our presence felt in the general design community more strongly. I think it's a demographic issue because on the East Coast and in Chicago, there's, there. I think, Black designers have, in Atlanta, in the South, where you are, black designers have more more presence. The Bay Area is a struggle. Just somebody off the cuff was I was at a networking event several years back, women in uh, women business networking, women in business networking event, and I had two different women, white women, ask me how the traffic was coming from Oakland, California. Hmm. And I thought that was interesting. And I said, well, I really don't know since I didn't come from Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this feeling in San Francisco that, and I mean, the black community has diminished incredibly mm-hmm. in this city. So there's this this assumption that there are no blacks in San Francisco. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in terms of the design community It's quite uh, interesting to see. I'm usually one, the one at the event. And um, so that needs to change. That definitely needs to change.
0: I remember there was a a movie that I saw. I don't know. This might have been about seven or so years ago. It's called Medicine for Melancholy by Barry Jenkins. And it sort of talked about that same thing about how San Francisco's black population has diminished. It was, it was a romantic comedy sort of movie, but it also touched on that in a way. And, and what I liked was how he visually depicted it because the movie is very desaturated.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It almost looks like a black and white movie. Mm. And after talking with the director, he said that the reason that he did that is because he wanted to show how little color there was in San Francisco. Yes. Sadly. Are you originally from the area? No, I'm an East Coast person. Okay, talk to me about when you uh, moved out to, to California. How'd you get started and settled out there? I came out to uh, the university out here.
1: Even though in my early, I spent part of my early childhood here in San Francisco and then moved back to Boston, a sport in Boston. And I went to, did a, one year of high school here in San Francisco and then finished up in New York. But uh, Ultimately, what made me stay was the university. I came out and went to the University of Southern California in Los Angeles for two years. My brother was living in L.A. going to Pepperdine. And then I transferred to UC Berkeley, and I just stayed.
0: And what did you study at Berkeley?
1: I studied, I ended up with a degree in political science, but my um, minor, and it was a major minor, was dance and theater. And I took, in that dance and theater, in studying that, I took some stage tech courses uh, at a community college, and I ended up taking also a a design theory class at the architecture department at UC Berkeley. So that's kind of how I started playing with design, Mm -hmm. second part of my my, uh, university.
0: So once you graduated, talk to me kind of about some of the work that you've done since then. I know when we spoke earlier that you mentioned that you're an educator, and I do want to touch on that, but did you go right into education or did you do some design work for other companies? I actually,
1: when I graduated, I actually went and and worked as an actress and a dancer for 15 years. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I did a lot of off-Broadway, small company work, off-off-Broadway, I should say, and small company work in New York. Made a living at that. And... When I came back to California, I did, came back and I did my teaching credential. I should say in the interim, I was back and forth between San Francisco and New York when I moved back after I graduated. My mother had moved out to San Francisco by that uh, before I graduated from Berkeley. When I came back, I did a teaching credential at San Francisco State University because my mother was an educator and both parents were educators and family educators. So I said, okay, I'll just do a t- teaching credential as well and then went back and Kept dancing, working as a dancer and an and actress. And then when I finally relocated back in San Francisco, a friend asked me to design it. I don't know why, but she asked me to design her uh, a business card. And I said, oh, yeah, I can do that. I did. And I and kind of got me interested in graphic design. So I actually went back and took two design courses at City College of San Francisco. And I also there was a group out here called Artists in Print. And I did several workshops through them and then just kind of hung out my shingle and started doing quite a bit of work for small nonprofits and women-owned businesses. It still tends to be my focus Mm -hmm. for my audience. And that's how I got into design.
0: And so your business, Design Speak, you've been around for a really long time. What's kind of been your secret for longevity?
1: Just staying focused on the type of audience and the scale, the scalability of my business and work that I wanted to do. And I kept it somewhat small so that it was more manageable for me. Mm -hmm. And I can, I continued to teach, you know, with my teaching credential, I uh, was, I taught high school as well when I relocated back out here. So I was doing two jobs. I was freelancing and teaching high school in San Francisco And just really, that allowed me, the teaching allowed me to just really choose the projects I really wanted to work on and the people
0: with whom I wanted to work. Mm -hmm.
1: And so I think that's why I've been able to hang in there as long as I have.
0: And now, being an educator, I know in your bio you mentioned, and even just now, City College of San Francisco, Mm -hmm. San Francisco Art Institute, UC Berkeley, Mm -hmm. and San Francisco State University. Right, how do you think design education has really changed since you started teaching?
1: It hasn't, in my humble opinion, it hasn't changed as much as I'd like to have seen in my humble opinion. I think that maybe with the exception of the San Francisco art Institute, which was the premier, you know, art the, the art college here in San Francisco, you know, Diego Rivera hung out there and painted that. There's a great mural that's painted by him there. They, it's a fine arts college, so it, they seem to be more forward-thinking in a menaceous instance. And I found at least I'd like to see more forward-thinking happening at the community college level. City College is a community college, and I'd like to see more forward-thinking. I think it's really imperative that we have more forward-thinking and not even forward-thinking, more forward action in terms of the changes that are going on in design. And especially in this area, I mean, we tend to be or are, are seen as being in the, the vanguard of new technologies mm-hmm. and how those new technologies play into, or how design plays into those new technologies. I can go to a meetup or I can go to an event by Automatic, and Automatic are, of course, the people who you know this who do the WordPress, the WordPress sites. They're the, uh, the engine behind the WordPress sites, and their developers will, will call themselves designers. And I guess they are designers. I come from the old school where you know you cut out squares and you draw lines and you deal with texture and value and color, the, the fundamental design elements, and then design thinking. But design is all-encompassing now, way more than when I first started. I think we, it's ever-evolving. We have to keep looking at how we're defining design. And so in terms of ed- education, we need to be the ones who have our ear to the ground in that process of helping to define. What design is because as we're seeing for our students because what we're seeing in the fields are really the push for new technologies and how to incorporate design and design thinking now into into these new technologies and the colleges are not there yet yeah they're not there yet and i i think we really need to push that
0: i've done some teaching and it hasn't been for a formal institution like yours i did some online teaching oh. and it's an interesting thing because i think that the perception with like teaching design online is that it would be more up to date because it is online. I think sometimes when you're dealing with, with just educational institutions in general, things move a lot slower than you'd like it to. Uh And I remember when I first started teaching and this was back in, I want to say maybe 2010 and they were still teaching students how to design web layouts using tables which is oh. so de rigueur in terms of, yeah. <laughs> of of what's you know what we do now. Now it's CSS and it's right. flexbox and grids and all these other you know types of things. Right. And I mean, I had to fight tooth and nail with the dean to get us to just update and actually teach students about CSS and not declaring properties in line with parameters. Like it's not what we do. Right. We certainly don't want to give students that knowledge and then have them go out into the working world thinking that this is what they are supposed to do. Right. Have you found that your students have the same needs over the years? Depending on the class, I say yes. I tend to have a diverse, when I was doing the design process class, and
1: it was actually, the class was geared, it was called Multimedia Content and Form. So I structured that class so that it dealt with, we covered the design fundamentals in the first half of the class, and then we moved into applying those fundamentals and processes to um, new media design, so to the design for the screen, to website design, and to app, mobile app design. I would have practicing graphic designers who wanted to take this class, even though they knew the design fundamentals already in the process. But they wanted to take the class so that they could you know, get exposed to the vocabulary and the, the workings of how to design for multimedia and, and screen projects. It was a really good class. I structured that class really well, and I felt that it should maybe even be a second-level class as opposed to a first-level class, but that hasn't happened yet. I've met with, with resistance for that, and I'm still talking that. And it actually got 86 a year ago, the class, discontinued, or it should say cut, which I thought was a mistake, and so we're trying to figure out how to bring it back because so, the chair who cut it actually feels that you know it does have value now. Mm-hmm. So we're in the process of restructuring that class and seeing how it is. But it's kind of interesting that the, the, the top-level administration was very resistant to, I feel, creating a relevant educational platform for our students and where they live and where they're going to work. We're a vocationally tracked program, so we need to train them for the jobs mm-hmm. here
0: in the area. Now, one of the topics that you mentioned that you, you also teach is about social media. Is that right? Yes,
1: For professionals. That's what it's called. Social media for professionals.
0: Talk to me kind of about that class. I'm I'm interested in a way because there's like been this there's been this piece that's been sitting on my spirit that I want to write about how designers of color kind of need to get out there more just in terms of visibility Mm -hmm. in order to find opportunities and things that they're they're looking for. And I think a large part of that can be done through social media. Can you talk about that course? Absolutely. So it is a class, and the focus of
1: the class is getting the students in the end to develop a campaign, a personal brand campaign. And so it's about looking at what tools are relevant for their field. Primarily, I have graphic designers in the class. I also have, I actually have a pretty diverse class this time, which is quite good to see. I have a couple of African American women in the class, Latinos and Asians as well as as uh, whites and so it's a really nice kind of nicely balanced class in terms of ethnicity still more men than than women in the class which is kind of interesting but um one of the women already is a blogger and very active and so it's basically getting students to choose which platform or which platforms are best for them and that can best that can be most advantageous to Branding them and getting them the exposure that they need. So we are, of course, looking at Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, most natural, most definitely. But I'm going to actually start to look at Snapchat. I had never thought I'd cover Snapchat, but when <laughs> I saw that the federal government is using Snapchat, I think it's worth taking a look at. Right. And Instagram. We're also looking at Instagram as well. And it's really about students creating a, a solid brand, personal brand for themselves, and what tools I use. I have a WordPress book, ayanabaltrip.com, and I also have a uh, LinkedIn and Facebook and a Facebook business page. And Facebook business pages, Design Speak. And then I have my two Twitter accounts for Design Speak and for Ayanna Baltrip. And I got set up back in 2008, so now I'm moving into going into my eighth year of being on social media. It was actually a st- one of my students at San Francisco State that got me into social media in 2008, and talked me into doing two, uh, you know, two Twitter accounts. I don't think I need two Twitter accounts, but so we're looking at those kind of things. But I feel for designers, Twitter and a blog are really good tools mm-hmm. for our part of our branding. There's also this tool called Flavors.me where you can set up a, like a calling card, a, a digital calling card. And then stream all your other tools into it, like your LinkedIn profile, your Twitter profile, and your Facebook profile. And so I'm, I'm looking at that tool. It's been around for quite a while, depending on how you set it up. Uh, some people feel it's kind of dated, but I don't think it can be dated. I think, again, if you just want to set it up as you, you know, and then you link to your other tools where people can go. Similar to what I think I've, I've seen you do. I looked at your profile. And But I think it's very important that, I mean, like, social media is, is critical now, and it's also still quite inexpensive you mm-hmm. know, to really get your brand out there. And, but you have to be active. You have to be active on it.
0: It, it always surprises me, particularly when I'm doing uh, research for the show. I may come across someone that has a great portfolio, but then there's no way to contact them.
1: Mm.
0: Or... or they're maybe very active on Twitter, for example, but they don't have a website. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like there are these kind of missing elements to show like what a a full portrait of what they can do is online. And for some designers that I've talked to, the reason that they don't do it is I guess out of some level of fear of criticism, Mm -hmm. but also it's, I still think that at least opens you up to whatever opportunities may come out there. I mean, there's no telling who might be interested in your work, but can't hire you because there's no way to contact you.
1: That's right.
0: And when you're active
1: in social media, your your SEO goes way up, you know, your search engine optimization, your, your searchability becomes quite good. And so you want to be able to have a good, solid way of people can contact you as well as see your work. I just have a basic... Two-page website that still works for me quite well. I'm surprised that it works as well as it does, but um, I'm getting more active with uh, getting back active with my WordPress blog, which I have synced to my um, Facebook. I share that into my Facebook business page and personal account, as well as Twitter and LinkedIn. I primarily curate information across those those lines via Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, with some interspersing of my personal content, and I find that works quite well. And um, of late, I've gotten, I just got some new followers. I've been, the, the, toward the end of the year, I keep getting new followers by through stuff that I've shared or of late on Twitter. And people are looking. So I think we definitely, as, as um, black designers, need to embrace social media and not be uh, fearful of the criticism
0: yeah are you working on any kind of new designs or new projects right now or are you just solely focused on teaching
1: primarily focused on teaching right now but I'm actually because I'm moving into the I told you I'm moving into the area of uh, user experience design I am mm-hmm. crafting a project for myself right now as a user experience designer, a user experience design project right now, so that's in process now, which is really good. I'm actually taking on my my HMO. There's some some things that I feel they should they can improve upon using user <laughs> experience, so I'm making that my project. Nice. Yeah.
0: Let's kind of switch gears a little bit here. I want to talk more about you, the person. Would you say that you're satisfied creatively right now? I mean, I know you've done a lot of teaching. You've done design work. Do you feel like you're at a good creative place in your life right now?
1: I think so. I'm, I'm starting to embrace my photography again. I photographed musicians for 17 years. My god. brother oh, wow. was Tito Puente. Okay. And then we shared a godfather. And so I got to photograph him for quite a few years in many shots. And I did the Berkeley Jazz Festival for several years as well. And um, I've been missing my photography of late. So that's kind of where, you know, like I said, I'm doing the user experience. But in terms of my own personal creative interests, I'm picking up the camera again and starting just to shoot some stuff.
0: Yeah, I find a lot of designers really gravitate towards photography Mm -hmm. at some point in their career it hasn't hit me yet Mm. like I have a phone on my camera and I use it to snap things here and there but I haven't gotten that bug to like get a DSLR and lenses and really (laughs) like really start taking photos what particularly kind of drew you to photography
1: my dance being a performing artist okay and like I said I started out doing musicians I love music And um, that's what uh, drove me. So that's basically what I primarily have photographed. We've been performing artists, and primarily musicians. I think my photography is what led me to to graphic design. And to me, it's all about the story. Whether you're doing an annual report, or a website, or you're doing photography, it's all about the story. And so I'm into, and I'm finding that I love to craft stories with my photography and some of my favorite photographers. That's how they, to me, that's what their success is based on, how
0: they craft and have crafted the stories. Was your family very supportive of you working in the arts?
1: Yes, as long as I got my teaching credential. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) My mother was very happy when I did that. And then I went back and did my master's a few years ago as well in design.
0: What kind of things get you in your creative zone? Any music or particular photography or anything like that?
1: Uh, Both music and photography. But like when I'm working, I tend to play international music and arias. I actually, there's this, this, I guess he was more like an editor of music. Paul Schwartz, who was a musician, he created these two CDs called Aria and Aria 2. I think there's an Aria 3 as well. And I tend to play that those two quite a bit while I'm working. When I'm out and about, when I have my camera, I'm looking at, you know, things to capture and that I find inspiring. And also, I joined a couple of street photographer groups on uh, Facebook. And so there's some people are doing some awesome work. Again, the street photography is quite interesting because it's all about, again, it's all about the story.
0: What excites you about the work that you're doing now? This, like what keeps you motivated? The story.
1: I, the story. I just have to keep coming back to the story. <laughs> I really want to tell a story to, to the audience and to engage them. So the crafting as compelling a story as possible is what excites me with my design work. in in, in the hopes of engaging, getting really a full and strong engagement from that audience.
0: Who do you look to for inspiration? All the
1: fellow designers I know. You know, uh, Rob Martin, uh, Steve Jones, Ricardo Gomez, Maurice Woods, Michelle Washington, Alan Hurt. And then, of course, back in the day, the Harlem Renaissance artists. I tend to look at there Romerie Bearden, whom I share a birthday with. Romerie Bearden, especially in terms of the late Har- uh, Harvard Renaissance and into the 50s and 60s, his work in mm-hmm. the 70s. Gordon Parks, because again, when I come back to the story, Gordon Parks, you know, most certainly his photography especially.
0: Now, I've interviewed a lot of designers here on the show, and if there's one common thread that has linked them, it's been this sort of, I almost want to say like a lack of mentorship as they were coming up as designers, what are your thoughts on like the state of mentorship now? I mean, you're an educator, so you're in a position where you can really influence what new students in this industry learn and seek out. What are your thoughts on that?
1: We need mentors. When I decided to do graphic design, I really needed people. I I, mean, I didn't need them, but I, well, I did need them. I wish I'd had known Michelle at the time. I wish I'd known Steve Jones at the time and Ricardo Gomez and Alan Hart. At the time, when I first started out, mentorship is critical Maurice. Maurice has it with his Interact project. He gets the the other black designers to volunteer and teach these middle school kids. Sadly, a good deal of his students now are mostly Latino and some whites and not enough African-Americans. And I'm, I'm wrecking my brain. That was one of the things I was trying to get involved with with him is how do we get the more more uh, african-american black kids you know interested and and know that and i don't know how to do that i'm well i do know how to do that i'm gonna start I'm, I'm seeking out i have other teaching colleagues and saying you know let me come talk to your class about what i do my friend was an elementary school teacher she had a few of us come in and talk to her students about what we do and so you know so they could see faces that look like theirs it's imperative. It's imperative that young designers and students, young young kids, have mentors. It's imperative.
0: Yeah, I, I really like what Maurice is doing with the interact project, yes. and I hope to see it spread to to other cities. I know when I talked with him, this was this was a while ago. This was because <laughs> the episode we did was episode thirteen, so oh. that was at least a hundred episodes oh. ago. But when we spoke about it, I know that getting people to come and volunteer was kind of a problem because. I'm sorry, like you said, like there's just a lack of black designers that were there in the area. And so getting them to come out to speak to kids, they just weren't there. Right. And then I would imagine that, like you say, the, the demographics are shifting from there being more black kids in the program and more Latino kids. It might just be endemic of those same kinds of population shifts and demographic That's shifts. Right. perhaps. That's right. What would you say is your dream project? If you had the time... And the funds, what would you really love to do? Oh, God, I don't know. (laughs) Um,
1: That's a hard one. I don't know if I can give you a concrete answer to that, but I most certainly know it's somewhere still definitely tied to education and outreach to more African-American and Latino kids. I mean, I'm both. I'm African-American and Latino. And so reaching out to, you know, Providing us a, a base, whether in, most would be probably these days an online foundation or base that they can tap into where they can create a hub where they can interact with designers, black designers, Latino designers who really can mentor them. Get involved. With the boys, I would like to see. The it. Boys and Girls Club, you know, kind of mm-hmm. get them active. You know, there's a director of the, the chapter here is also an educator. And so, you know, trying to reach out and just find a a doing hangouts with these kids, you know, Mm -hmm. I would like to do something like that. So it's tied to education and educating them about a field that I think is still quite viable in this day and time or fields that are quite viable in this day and time.
0: Now, I know that there's a lot of conversation that goes around about diversity and technology. We really don't see that same level of, of conversation or fervor as it relates to diversity and design. And I think it's an issue that has certainly been going on for at least 30 years Mm -hmm. now. Why do you think the current design industry is not, I guess, talking about it or at least making the same types of steps as the tech industry is when it comes to, you know, diversity and programs and education? Because
1: I don't think there are blacks who are leading that, that blacks are going to have to step up and, and lead that. That call to do that. Um, Maurice did a a panel discussion last month, or November, called "Diversity in Design," and it was quite interesting, you know. But I mean, so there are blacks who's doing it, but they need he's one who's doing it, and he put together a really quite. John Mehta was on that panel as well, Um, just some really good people. The woman who uh, Black Girls Code, Kimberly, yes, she was on the panel. And it's just that I feel that design agencies, it's not on their radar. They don't feel the need. It's just not on their
0: radar. And you think it's probably just up to black designers, so I guess, put it on their radar? Is that, I guess, what I'm hearing?
1: Well, yes, but maybe not going to companies going, hey, you need to diversify. But cre- I think creating our own our own agencies where we hire our own. It's kind of like sounding like the 21st century Jim Crow. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But we need to be the ones who step up and provide the opportunities for the upcoming designers of color, black designers. I just don't think the pentagrams and the... Landors and the other, I mean, we, we can talk to them and share that with them. But I think we need to lead in a, essentially lead by example.
0: Mm. Lead by example. I like mm-hmm. that. What advice would you give to someone? I mean, you, you have students, so I'm, I'm sure they probably come to you with this all the time. But they're looking to start out as designers. What do you tell them? What sort of things do you tell them to give them hope? To
1: do the best work. That they they can always do do stellar work. Get active. It's okay to be the one black in the room, and just really let their voices be heard. Always do stellar work, and also look for mentors. Look for black other black designers who can mentor them.
0: It's a good idea. And if they're if they need to find them, they can come to Revision Path. I've right. certainly interviewed a lot of them. We just opened up a, a Slack community. Oh great. It's fairly new now. It's only about, I think, 45 people or so in there. But if you're a black designer and you're looking to just talk to other black designers, that's a great place. But these kind of communities, I mean, you know, sort of like you say, there just needs to be more out there leading by example mm-hmm. that's doing that. Right. Where do you see yourself in the next five years or so? Interesting question.
1: Where do I see myself in five years? Well, given the news I got yesterday... That's a really spicy question. Not dwelling on the news I got yesterday. I see myself stepping up and being leading by example. <laughs> really pushing sure. my leading by example. And really making an impact in terms of bringing more people to the fold.
0: Design mm-hmm. fold. Well, I certainly think through, through your education work. And, and like you said, you're a member of, of AIGA. Sla- I mean, I don't want to say put the pressure on them, but put the pressure on them. Well,
1: and they are. They are definitely. Alice BB has approached me about coming through some stuff, getting involved in looking at diversity. Uh, AIGA is definitely looking at that out here. Um, I did do a talk with Emory Douglas, They an AIGA talk, a, a fireside mm-hmm. chat with Emory Douglas back at the end of uh, November. And so they are. And, you know, he was one of the, the fellows last year. He was an AIGA. Fellow. A medalist. And so they are looking, they are, they're doing better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they are. And I think now because it's, I mean, they've been around for a hundred years. It's, I don't want to say they have to do better. Well, they, they do have to do better. And full disclosure, I'm, I'm an AIGA member also. I'm also on AIGA's diversity and inclusion task force. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have these conversations on a pretty regular basis about not just what we can do out in the community, but how the organization itself kind of needs to be reflective of the industry that it represents. Right. It's one of those things where always having the conversation and, and mainly the conversation has been around how do we make sure that the efforts that we're doing are sustainable and that they don't just evaporate when the next leadership comes in or something like that. And
1: that's reaching out to other black designers and black design firms, agencies. And we need to get involved with these organizations just the way you are, you know, and I am. And I think Steve is on the board, Maurice is on the educator on the board. I guess I all try to get active, a little bit more active as well. Most certainly in terms of the diversity and the education component, I was asked about that.
0: Yeah, I think Steve is the education yeah. chair. I think he I think. is,
1: that's right.
0: Yeah, Julio Martinez, who is also on the on the board he's in one of our task force that's members as well that's right i think he spoke i think he was on the panel yeah yeah, yeah. He was. see it's a small, so he
1: was,
0: small, brother small who had small just
1: come out from chicago
0: can't think of his name he was very good from chicago oh i know you're talking about a taller guy no. his name is jason or Jaden, i believe that almost sounds right i I know who you're talking about. I, walked I know exactly away I kept who you're talking the, um, about. I kept the uh, brochure.
1: Here it is. Here it is. From it. And his name is, you're right, Jason Maiden.
0: Jason Maiden. Yeah.
1: yeah. He's with That's Excel amazing. Partners. Mm-hmm. And Kimberly Bryant, as you said, and Julio Martinez. That's right. He's the yeah. diversity chair. And Megan Rose Dickey, was the, um, who's a reporter with TechCrunch, she was the moderator. And Joel Emerson is, is with She's the CEO of Paradigm. She was excellent as
0: well. Yeah, I know she's doing a lot of work with different companies about how they can diversify their, mostly, I think it's about tech. I don't know how much of it revolves around design. I know tech and design tend to get conflated in these types they of conversations, but do. but she's doing a lot around that with, with big companies out there in Silicon Valley. She is, yes. Well, Ayana, just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Well, my, uh, my website is
1: designspeak.com. I'm on LinkedIn. And uh, I'm, Twitter is Ayana Baltrip, at Ayana Baltrip. That's probably my most really active uh, social media, Twitter and LinkedIn, I should say, those two. I do have a blog, Ayana Baltrip.com, as well.
0: All right. Sounds good. Well, Ayana, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I really like a lot of what you mentioned about kind of your education work. And it sounds like you sort of had a bit of a non-traditional way of getting into design. Like you said, it was through dance and photography and then into design. But now that you're an educator, I mean, I think you're one of the the many voices out there that, that upcoming Black designers need to hear and need to see in terms of knowing that this is an option for them as a career. So... Thank you just for your work that you've done over the years. And thank you again so much for coming on the show. I appreciate well, it.
1: Thank you, uh, Maurice. Thank you for a revision path. I
0: think it's critical. It's just wonderful. It's just another thank
1: tool again, that we can share with our students out there.
0: Thoughts of love are in your mind. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Ayana Baltrip Valagas, and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Ayana and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. When it comes to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They have great in-depth reporting, new and improved autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at mailchimp.com. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domain. Just search for a few keywords and Hover will show you the best available options across all the top-level domains out there. You ready to get started? Save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code REVISIONPAD at checkout. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Marty's Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review, it really helps us get new listeners, it bumps us up in the iTunes rankings, and I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by LUNCH, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. If you like the work Revision Path is doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision and pledge your support. Pudge levels start at just $1 per month, and you'll get access to behind-the-scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.